Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Do our elected officials love Ukraine more than they love America? How about maybe it's high time we stop caring about what freedom may cost us? Yes, that's right. It is a truth or fiction Tuesday. I'm Andrew Coppins. Federalist paper number eight is also up today on this edition of Critical Thinking. Welcome in to Truth or Fiction Tuesday. I'm Andrew Coppins. Follow me on social media. I am at The Coppins Show over on X. You can find it on Facebook as well. We're on Instagram. I believe that one's Critical Thinking Show. But folks, uh, do not forget to follow me there. You can see the show on X every single day as well just by following at The Coppins Show. Don't forget to download, rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever your favorite podcasting platform wants you to do with this show. But, folks, it is as just as simple as that to help our show grow. Now, the other thing that you can do is go to the Rumble channel, rumble.com backslash critical thinking, where you can watch the program as well. So wherever and however you would like to consume this program, you can. It is just that simple, and I thank each and every single one of you that do it every day, and I continue to see the numbers growing leaps and bounds, and I really, really appreciate that. I would also love your feedback on our segment on the Federalist Papers, and are you getting anything out of understanding what the Federalist Papers have been talking about, are talking about, will be talking about? I would love to hear your feedback at The Coppins Show. All of that out of the way, it is a truth or fiction Tuesday right here on the program. So we've got some questions for you. And the first truth or fiction for you is this one. Do our elected officials, our elected officials, truth or fiction, our elected officials love Ukraine more than they love America? You might be saying, wait, what? They want to represent us and they're sacrificing and they're serving as representatives of the people in the House and then supposedly the state's interest and the Senate. And Well, this morning, because thanks to the intrepid efforts of Mike Lee, the effort of Rand Paul, to filibuster for as long as humanly possible. Well, eh, it didn't quite work, but a bill was passed in the Senate to fund Ukraine, Taiwan, and Israel, and then not really deal with border security, but <clears throat> immigration. And I use those and use that word in air quotes for a reason. But this bill passed 70 to 25 or 20, 70 to 30, excuse me, because there's a 
hundred senators. Do your math, Andrew. But um, this doesn't happen without Republicans going over because it's a one seat. Well, it's not even a one seat majority because there are two people, Bernie Sanders and Kirsten Cinema, who identify as independents, and technically that would make not the Democrats, but they they caucus with the Democrats for the majority, blah, blah, blah. Point being, it takes a whole hell of a lot of Republicans to get there. Never mind the fact that uh, Speaker of the House Johnson has said time and time and time again over the last few weeks, here's what is required for us to even consider your crap. Yet they passed this bill that not only doesn't really do much when it comes to immigration, but also is, according to Mike Lee, according to Rand Paul, an end round way to ramp up impeachment once again against Donald Trump, who has literally said, no, I'm pulling all of this kind of funding. Now, he's also indicated that he would like funding of this nature to be alone and, um, isn't it always supposed to have been that way? We just forgive these debts. So what is different about what, oh, but they're going to pay him back. You believe that for a second, just like you believe that Mexico is going to pay for the wall, right, MAGA Forever? You, you believed that in 2016. You believed that. I never believed that. Not one bit. I didn't buy that for a second. You did. You've bought every single lie that he has told. Hook, line, sinker. Lock her up. Ha, 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 ha. Just kidding. A month later. After he got you to do what he wanted you to do, which was elect him to become president of the United States. Because moi ego. So I want you to think about these things. But let's take a look at the GOP for a second. Right? Let's take a look at what took place. The Senate just pulled an all-nighter officially passing their $95 billion foreign aid bill for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan with nothing for the southern border. The final vote was 70 to 29, with 22 Republicans voting yes. Their names, McConnell, Thune, Bozeman, Caputo, Cassidy, Collins, Cornyn, Kramer, Crapo, ironic on that one, but anyway... Ernst, Grassley, Hoven, Kennedy, Moran, Murkowski, Risch, Romney, Rounds, Sullivan, Tillis, Wicker, and Young. You know, it's interesting because one of the things that I think a lot of people on the right have disbelieved as of late, if that's a word, but they, they've stopped believing is that elections have consequences. And what do I mean by this? I mean that a lot of them have said, well, it doesn't matter whom I vote for. It doesn't matter. It's all baked in the cake. And so there's really no consequence to whom I vote for. They're just going to do me dirty. Okay. But folks, let me put it this way, right? The ones that voted for this bill, how many of these do you think are up for re-election this year? of the 22 Republicans that voted for this? Two. The answer is two. As I look at the class um, that is expiring, it is, I believe, Kevin Kramer, Republican of North Dakota, and uh, Roger Wicker of Mississippi. Now, Mitt Romney also voted for this bill, but he is retiring, so there's already... Uh, a, a open seat there. So technically it's three, but two are running for re-election from what I understand. It, it is my belief that Wicker is running for re-election. So we're going to find out. Yes, he is running for a full third term. Okay, so that's Roger Wicker. What about uh, Kramer, North Dakota? Re-election. Let's find out in real time. Yeah, he's still undecided on that as of last August. And in October, decided that he was going to run for re-election. 
So you want to talk about how elections don't really have consequences or who cares because they're just going to screw you anyway. Let me ask you a very, very simple question here. You have an opportunity here to affect change with just two individuals. Of those 22 that have been elected, how many of them will come up over the next six to eight years? Your inaction and your apathy over the last decade has allowed this group, this level of power, if you will, to believe they're immune from any sort of electoral consequences because that is your recourse, by the way. That is our recourse in all of this. But Andrew, they're just going to screw us anyway. I have some evidence that points to the contrary here for you. Because what if I told you this? And this comes from Eric Schmidt pointing out that nearly every Republican senator under the age of 55 voted no on what they are calling the America Last Bill. 15 out of 17 elected since 2018 voted no. Things are changing, just not fast enough. Again, 15 of the 17 that have been voted since 2018. Newest members of the Senate have had the chutzpah, the cojones to say to McConnell, to Romney, to all of those individuals, bleep you. Mitt Romney getting up there yesterday and saying the following. The vote we will soon take to provide military weapons for Ukraine is the most important vote we will ever take as United States senators. I don't even want to go any further in that video because it's that insane. This is the most important vote you're ever going to ever, ever in the history of these people doing work for the past 30, 40, 50 years in some cases, right? This is the most important. This? Really? Really? Yeah. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Sub truth or fiction. This is the most important vote. Actually, it kind of is if you think about it. In, in this respect, we had an opportunity to say, no, we love America first. We love America more than we love Ukraine. And we're not going to send billions upon billions upon billions upon billions of dollars with no accountability, with no strings attached, with no nothing, because we've already seen people enriching themselves to the tune of millions, tens of millions of dollars in waste, in grift already. We've already seen it. That's, that's what's going on here. So... Maybe this was the most important vote to say no. But, but I'm going to call that one the sub-question fiction because that's insane. There are plenty more important votes going on. And the fact that you care more or the most about Ukraine or the Taiwan aid or the Israeli aid, but notice he used Ukraine, not the other, th uh, other two and then, you know, um, the the small, small pittance to elsewhere thrown into the mix. Now, he used Ukraine. He didn't use Israel. He didn't use any of the rest of it. Just insane. So with all of that, it's a long about way of saying, look, there's change happening. It's happening slowly, but the newer blood, the younger blood coming in, the people who are not 1,000% corrupted by everything that's going on or not going on in Washington, D.C., they're not beholden to this effort. They actually actively have been working against this effort. And you've seen the more constitutional conservatives like Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, and others, Rand Paul as well, right? actually stepping up and attempting to stop all of this. Now, did it work this time? No. But here's the, here's the rub. You actually have to pay attention. You actually have to play the long game and 
there is light at the end of the tunnel if you play it correctly, if you identify the correct people to put in place to primary the Thunes, the Cornins, the Kramers, the Wicks of the world. It is high time that those of us who are either libertarians or libertarian-leading Republicans or people who just don't believe in this effort, right? This this idea of of Ukraine being super important and the the biggest vote we'll ever take. No, it's not, Mitt. It's literally not. Some would argue the votes that you took, I don't know, with Donald Trump um, and impeachment, probably a wee bit more important. But it tells you exactly where those priorities are. But for those of us who want to affect change, to to get away from this, it's high time that we look to cultivate people who we can trust that will affect large amounts of change, that will be different, that will do things bigger, better than ever before. And that you can trust to do that because I do trust Ted Cruz more than I don't. I do trust Rand Paul. I do trust Mike Lee way more than I don't. And that's as best as you can hope for when it comes to elected officials. Now, the other part of the good news in this scenario here outside of the fact that it appears that it is true that our senators absolutely love Ukraine more than they love America, is that Speaker of the House Johnson has said, yeah, no. But I will say this as the caution to this. If we have to continue to rely on Speaker Johnson to be a buttress against the idiocy of the Senate and the GOP within the Senate, that is a recipe for disaster. But it does seem on this particular issue that Johnson and others within the House GOP caucus have some backbone to them because everybody is pretty much in lockstep when it comes to the crap sandwich that has come out of the Senate now. Will they even take it up? I doubt it. Or they will take it up and they will put their immigration stuff in there and then what we're left with the muck and mire again and okay that might actually be a good thing except for that means that we don't actually get to deal with the border. but then again will this administration even actually deal with the border to begin with and look i do not expect to win on quote-unquote every issue but i do expect on a bill like this, to have more of our issues, more of the base's wants and needs and everything else actually identified and actually part of the solution. Instead, we've got nothing. There's no win for right-wing America, no win for the priorities or policy positions of the base of the GOP. There's nothing in here that is a win for anybody other than those who are grifting in these other countries, like Ukraine, like Israel, like Taiwan. We can go on and on. Look at how many people have been enriching themselves here in America or from here in America all the way overseas and back again. How many people have made millions and millions of dollars off the back of this war effort? Our money literally being recycled. We send money overseas, then spend more in our defense budget because we don't have enough parts and ammo and things to fulfill our own needs. So our Senate is more keen on making sure Ukraine is well-armed and funded so that then we spend more money here so that the defense contractors make more. Hmm, do you see the problem? But the good news, the good news, because that's really what I want to focus in on here, is that change can happen if you pay attention, if you organize, if you put effort forth. 
and say no to Roger Wicker, no to um, Kramer, right? No to the 20 uh, senators or 22 senators who said yes to this. And you find ways to make sure they pay at the ballot box. What is the line in the sand? The line in the sand should be this, very simply this. If you care more about sending money overseas than you care about fixing issues in America, there's your line in the sand. We don't support you. We will primary you, and we will win. Because the other part of the equation, as we take a look at uh, the United States Senate, right, is that there are way more, way more on the Democratic side. Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin. You've got um, Kirsten Gillibrand. You've got uh, Maisie Hirano, Amy Klobuchar, Joe Manchin, who's retiring, right? So you have an opportunity to gain some. There are good ones, like John Tester is a good one. Uh, Debbie Stabenow in Michigan, we don't know. Uh, Robert Menendez, obviously not going to be, I think he's running, but won't make it. Who knows what's going on with him? But the point of the matter is that they've got way more on the Democratic side up for grabs than are the Republican side. Primary on the Republican side, those that deserve the primary, and hold them to account. Now, that's only two this time, but we would go from 17 to 19, which is almost the exact same of the 22, right? So you go to 19 total, and you get to 17 versus 22. You you see where I'm going. You slowly begin to rebuild and build a base that is more representative of where the base is today. You've got a win coming. There are people willing to hold fast and be steadfast in principles. Although I would argue maybe Mitt Romney and his ilk are steadfast in their principles of doing whatever they can to make some cashola. But I digress. The point in this is to just simply say that it appears the Senate loves Ukraine more than they love America. They're much more willing to fund efforts to stymie war literally over an entire ocean than they are on our southern border dealing with a river and just wide open fences, wide open spaces, I should say, not fences. Although some of those fences are wide open too, but I digress. Let's go ahead and move forward here. Let's take a look at the second truth or fiction, which is we have to stop caring what freedom might cost us. We have to stop caring what freedom might cost us. For me, this one is a thousand percent truth. And this one came from Seth Dillon, who wrote an opinion piece, I believe yesterday, over at um, notthebee.com. Now, here's what he actually had to say before we get into the why I'm saying that we have to stop caring section of this. Because Seth Dillon went on to write this. They count on this, by the way. This idea that you're just going to bow down. They're just going to kneel. You're just going to acquiesce. They count on this, by the way. They know that if they can make you afraid of being deplatformed, you'll do their job for them and censor yourself. For every case of hard censorship where they actually take down user content, there are a thousand cases of soft censorship where users bite their own tongue, knowing they'll be penalized if they speak freely. That's a thousand percent true. I know that I think through the consequences and some of it is because I have a license, right? And we can talk ad nauseum about that entire process and how ridiculous it is. Mainly the argument that it creates an ethical standard. People violate that ethical standard and their license all day, every day. They, they do it. Most of them get away with it. Most of them have no consequences for it. I see it every single day. 
it does nothing to stop anything. It just makes it harder to be in that profession, to be in that field. It doesn't give the consumers any sort of actual confidence because they know people are, wait for it, people. They're human. That, that means they're not necessarily going to be good. But Dylan continues saying the following. I don't think people realize how profound it is to see somebody stand up and say, quote, I don't care. You can try to bully me into silence and force me to do what you want by holding money over my head. I'm going to stand for freedom no matter what, unquote. No one has ever stood up to Disney like that. And he was talking about how um, people just stood up and said, nah, we're good. And Ron DeSantis and everything like that, right? No one has ever stood up to Disney like that and said no thanks to their mountain of money. It was insane. It was inspirational. And there's an important lesson in it. And that's what Elon Musk did, right? And saying, you know, screw you or go bleep yourself, as he so eloquent, eloquently put it. And there's an important lesson in it. Musk has shown us the key to winning this fight. We have to stop caring what freedom might cost us. And that's where I really want to pick this up because here's why I think this is truth. Now, you might be sitting there saying, well, well, Andrew, isn't it easy for people like Elon Musk or Seth Dillon who have tons and tons of money to say that? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Isn't it easy for those who have tons and tons of power to say it? Does Dylan or Musk, do they possess either or both of those things, money and power? Yes, they do. But if they, at the top of the food chain, are willing to sacrifice money and power for the principle of freedom, whether that's freedom of speech or economic freedom or whatever have you, shouldn't you then also be willing to follow that lead and sacrifice yourself? And yeah, you might be sacrificing something that's on the grand scale, seemingly small or minute, but I also understand the risks because you have to calculate, well, could this cost me my job? And wouldn't that be devastating to my family? Maybe that would be, but let me ask you this. Could they fire you all? Can they fire everybody who holds a differing opinion than the DEI woke corporate culture? Here's the reality. You can't do it to us all. You can't fire us. You can't hold jobs against us. You can't do this. You can't do that against all of us. It's not going to work. There is the power, strength in some collective number, in a reality of fellowship. If it's just a coalition, then it's going to fall apart. But in fellowship, there's where your collective power comes in. There is a tipping point of public opinion that you could sway. And right now, the woke mob has the pendulum swinging in their favor because they've made the rich, the powerful, scared. They've made corporate boardrooms scared. They've made marketing campaigns scared. They've made hiring, you know, HR people scared. It's why we get where we are today. It's how we got there. They've made almost all of Elon Musk's peers 
scared. There's a lesson in that. That's why I refer to it as R&D, rip off and duplicate. It's a really good strategy, but what if you employed it for good instead of evil? And yes, DEI, woke corporate culture, is evil. It is an absolute cancer in our society. Couldn't you use that technique? And then they think twice about doing anything to your freedom of speech, your ability to say things that they might not enjoy or like or anything else, but you're going to have the right to say them. Look at the Bud Light boycott, for example. Now, you can have your druthers as to what has happened lately. I get it. But here's a reality check for you. This was the most successful boycott in American conservative history. It flat out worked. They stopped most, if not all, of the woke nonsense from a marketing perspective. And they've begun to brand Bud Light differently because you put that kind of pressure. And lest we also forget, the person that was behind the idea, right? The person who decided to tranny up, to sponsor a tranny on TikTok or Instagram or whatever it was. Did, did they have a, do they have a job on that brand anymore? N no. They got fired. They got removed. And what does that tell you? They were scared of you. They were scared of the billions upon billions of dollars they lost because of their decision, because of this effort. This was successful beyond all belief. Turns out there is some power in that collective fellowship. But you have to be willing to actually say, bleep you, I don't care the consequences. And I'm going to speak freely, I'm going to act freely, I'm going to do what I believe to be right, and come what may. But those are also conversations that you have to have, and you have to be okay with it. You have to wrap your mind around, guess what? It's okay if I'm not on X. It's okay if certain things are happening. There's, for every company that might be this way, there's a hundred more that aren't. And I just have to find them. And I just have to maybe go out and be an entrepreneur and do for myself. Maybe, just maybe, those are the rules of, of the road and the consequences. Now, is everybody going to be successful as an entrepreneur? Of course not. If, if that was the case, everybody would be doing it. It would be super easy, right? But I'm going to bet on myself and I'm going to bet on my freedom because without it, we don't have anything. I, I get behind a microphone every single day. I've had conversations with my wife uh, about, you know, hey, there might be some things that, I can and can't do and jobs that I may or may not get or whatever else have you. And that is just life. But I don't care what they might try to do to me. In fact, if I can get proof that they either fire me from a job or refuse to hire me from a job because of speech, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen, folks. And you have to be willing to play the game, R&D it. Say, nah, nah, you don't hold power over me. You don't hold sway. I'm not going to censor just because. Now, there's a difference between being thoughtful in your posting and not just emotional, emotional meatball all the time. There's a difference between that and censoring what you actually intend to say. That's a key difference. So, all of that to say, yes, we have to stop caring what cost freedom is going to have because 
you've already proven that you're willing to pay the price for safety and security from the government's perspective, right? COVID, all of those things. I could go on and on and on, but all of the freedom that you're willing to lose because you are afraid of the consequences. But there are brave people who stood up and paid deep consequences, lost jobs, lost family, lost friends, lost um, pastoralships, lost all sorts of things over COVID, right? Went to jail, this, that, or everything in between. And said, bleep you. There just wasn't enough of us willing to do that in mass. Instead, most of us masked up and shut up. I went as long as humanly possible without doing that in our building, by the way, uh, as local as it's possible. You have to ask yourself, what are you willing to sacrifice for freedom? Or are you willing to sacrifice anything at all? Very real questions and very real discussions that need to be had within your family. And maybe just maybe you might be a really good example to your children by saying, yeah, um, there are things worth fighting for in this life. And freedom, liberty on a basic level is one of them. With that being said, though, before we get into the study guide and diving deep into Federalist number eight, it is a good time to remind you to fill up your cup with the great coffee brand coffee from coffeebrandcoffee.com. Yes, you literally will get quality coffee because they care about coffee, period, point blank. That is it. So go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout, whether you buy coffee, whether you buy tea, whether you buy hot chocolate, whatever is going to float your boat, go ahead and go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout for 10% off of your purchase today. coffeebrandcoffee.com, the official coffee of critical thinking. All right. That being said, it is time for us to go into the Federalist Papers as we move to Federalist number eight. Alexander Hamilton is the author of this eighth essay in the Federalist Papers. And in this one, we continue to see the, the talk of war and states and entanglements, but he's exploring the consequences of war between the states. And I think this is a particularly interesting glimpse considering the talk that we are having today of separation and sorting out by political belief, liberty versus tyranny or socialist slash Marxist slash communist versus Republican or democracy, right? These are incompatible ideas. There's going to be a loggerhead at some point in time. But we're having this question today, again, some 248-ish years later, right? 240-some-odd years later. Here we are, still having this debate. I find it fascinating. But let's go into what he has to say here in part one. Because in the first section here, Hamilton is taking note of the differences between Europe and America when it comes to many things that are important about war in the war efforts. He states, quote, war between the states in the first period of their separate existence would be accompanied with much greater distresses than it commonly is in those countries where regular military establishments have long obtained. The disciplined armies always kept on foot on the continent of Europe, though they bear a malignant aspect to liberty and economy, have notwithstanding been productive of the single signal advantage of rendering sudden conquest impractical, and of preventing that rapid dissolution which used to mark the progress of war prior to their introduction. The art of fortification has contributed to the same ends. The nations of Europe are encircled with chains of fortified uh, places which mutually obstruct invasion. Campaigns are wasted in reducing two or three frontier garrisons to gain admittance into an enemy's country. Similar impediments occur at every step. 
to exhaust the strength and the delay the progress of an invader. Formerly, an invading army would penetrate into the heart of a neighboring country almost as soon as intelligence of its approach could be received. But now, a comparatively small force of disciplined troops acting on the defensive, with the aid of posts, is able to impede and finally to frustrate the enterprises of one much more considerable. The history of war in that quarter of the globe is no longer a history of nations subdued and empires overturned, but of towns taken and retaken, of battles that decide nothing, of retreats more beneficial than victories, of much effort in little acquisition. So he's noting the importance here, right? Chief amongst the claims that Europe is so fortified, full of standing armies, well-established traditions, that invasion and quick maneuvering of whole swaths of countries or peoples then absorbed into Spain versus France or the Holy Roman Empire versus whatever versus Italy versus Germany versus this versus that, right? Here in America, though, that wouldn't be the case. We don't have massive fortifications. We don't have massive standing armies of Vermont and New Hampshire and Connecticut, and New York, Pennsylvania, yada, 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 right? We don't have the traditions of fortifications that exist in Europe. Thus, the question of separation of the states would lead to what? Well, let's take a look what else he had to say in this second part that I want to highlight. Because he goes on to say, Hamilton, that in this country, the scene would be altogether reversed. The jealousy of military establishments would postpone them as long as possible. The want of fortifications, leaving the frontiers of one state open to another, would facilitate inroads. The populous states would, with little difficulty, overrun their less populous neighbors. Conquests would be as easy to be made as difficult to be retained. War, therefore, would be desolutory de uh, and predatory. Plunder and devastation ever march in the train of irregulars. The calamities of individuals would make the principal figure in the events which would characterize our military exploits. So, here we get Hamilton pointing out that the war-making effort here would be as easy as pie and as difficult as possible to defend against if we were all broken into these individual states or individual confederacies. Now, remember that we've got to look at this um, through the case that is being made, right? The case that's being made is the, the lens, right? The lens of wanting a strong federal government. Is this actually the case? It's a really good, good question. Would this actually be the case? Would there be more Issues. Well, we already know in the Articles of Confederacy all of the issues regarding Western territories, all of the issues that we highlighted yesterday, all of the, the Shays Rebellion and so forth and so on, in which the state really didn't have the power, but the federal government didn't have the power, so where are we going here? I think it's a good question to ask. And I think one of the differences, if you look at today versus this argument, is obviously air power. That doesn't exist. The, the, the power of Navy wasn't nearly as great as it is today, but most importantly, the power of the air. Fortifications don't necessarily mean what it used to mean. Fortifications would be, do you have a missile defense system? Do you have the ability to, you know, um, fight in the air, right? Because they can just simply go over the top of your fortifications. What what defenses and what mechanisms do you have to repel invasion? Today being different, but the the basic principles still remain. Anyway, Hamilton continues to talk about this from this perspective. This picture is not too highly wrought, though I confess it would not long remain a just one. Safety from external danger is the most powerful director of national conduct. Even the ardent love of liberty will, after a time, give way to its dictates. The violent destruction of life and property incident uh, to war 
the continual effort and alarm attendant on a state of continual danger will compel nations the most attached to liberty to resort for repose and security to institutions which have a tendency to destroy their civil and political rights. To be more safe, they at length become willing to run the risk of being less free. Ironic considering what we just talked about, but, but the, he's right. Safety from external danger is the most powerful director of national conduct. This quote from Federalist Number 8 is vital. Hamilton continues in that same paragraph to, to tell us that they're willing to give up that liberty to get the safety, and whoever wants to give up that liberty to get the safety is likely to make war, likely to conquest, likely to continue to want power after power after power after power. Now, what about how do you maintain that power? How do you defend? How do you standing armies? That's a scary moment and a scary thought to the Americans of 1789. That's a scary thought to all of the people looking at the Constitution because a very real reality was that one of the things that pushed them over the edge was the Quartering Act, right? where suddenly random people are now housing British soldiers who are there to limit the freedoms, the liberty of the very people that they're supposed to have to house now. But he points this out. The institutions chiefly alluded to are standing armies and the correspondent appendages of military establishments. Standing armies, it is said, are not provided against in the new constitution, and it is therefore inferred that they may exist under it. Their existence, however, from the very terms of the proposition, is at most problematic and uncertain. But standing armies, it may be replied, must inevitably result from a dissolution of the confederacy. Frequent war and constant apprehension, which require a state of a of as constant preparation will infallibly produce them, meaning standing armies. The weaker states or confederacies would first have recourse to them to put themselves upon an equal uh, equality with their more potent neighbors. They would endeavor to supply the inferiority of population and resources by a more regular and effective system of defense, by disciplined troops and by fortifications, they would, at the same time, be necessitated to strengthen the executive arm of government, in doing which their constitutions would acquire a progressive direction toward monarchy. It is the nature of war to increase the executive at the expense of the legislative authority. So what we get here is really Hamilton pointing out that standing armies would be more of a necessity of separation than not. Again, appealing to this concept of if you stay unified we are less likely to need a standing army situated directly in the population. Now, say what you will about the realities of what took place, but there's a difference between them sitting in a fort or a, a designated area and then in the population. But to end all of this here, there's another section I want to point out here because we get Hamilton's great case for unity when it comes to dealing with the thought of war, and it goes something like this. If we are wise enough to preserve the Union, we may for ages enjoy an advantage similar to that of an insulated situation. Europe is at a great distance from us. Her colonies in our vicinity will be likely to continue too much disproportioned in strength to be able to give us any dangerous annoyance. Ex extensive military establishments cannot, in this position, be necessary to our security. But if we should be disunited, and the integral parts should either remain separated or, which is more probable, should be thrown together into two or three confederacies, we should be, in a short course of time, in the predicament of the continental powers of Europe. Our liberties would be prey to the means of defending ourselves against the ambition and jealousy of each other. So let me ask a question of you as we fast forward from 1789 to now. 
if we're talking about the great sorting of people, right, where we see a massive migration to places like Florida, Texas, elsewhere, right, largely of populations from blue states to supposedly red states, South Carolina is a big gainer. There are other places that gained massive population. The loss is all coming from northern blue states. If we begin to see this continue, it's largely geographical in nature, right? So then my question to you would be this. What happens when that great sorting is no longer a great thing for one side or the other? And wait a second, we need the access to the waterways of the north, right? Let's say we separate that way, or we need access to the Great Lakes or the natural resources that exist in the north for the means of production. What happens if, oh, wait, we need the things of the south or we like the weather, but, we don't, but we're not going to be able to travel the way that we've been used to or what happens if we split east to west or whatever whatever that that thing is or we've got Iowa right next to Illinois and it's red versus blue in a battle literally on a border of a water what do you do what happens when you've got literally antithetical ways of life right next door to each other? It's a very good question that I think we have to take a look at. The answer is to have the fight over what the actual political formula is, to have the fight, to put it in the open and let everybody speak to it. But I don't know if we're capable of being serious people and having these types of serious conversations about the big ideas, which the Federalist Papers are attempting to do, whether you agree with them or not, the reality of the situation is that they did believe in big ideas and big conversations solving big issues. With that, folks, think about it. Think about it from that perspective as well as do you believe this to have been the right direction? And were they right about that separation back then, which can inform us about today? Now, until tomorrow and WTF Wednesday, I'm Andrew Coppins. This has been Critical Thinking. Please be smart, be safe, be kind. Make sure you eat all of your meals. And as always, Matthew 547.